0: Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it.
1: Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. We've talked a lot on this show around how we train and educate each other. How we train and educate physicians is something we haven't dove into in much detail. And the world of podcasting is one where the corner of how physicians learn, of how we teach one another, how we can make it fun, engaging, and interesting, while still getting to the key didactic pieces, and even potentially opening it up to people who aren't in healthcare at all but are just interested in certain things, that corner was open in the world of podcasting for a long time. And I was always kind of searching through the podcast roles, looking for something new, something interesting, never found it, never found it. And then several months ago, The Curbsiders popped up. The Curbsiders podcast is three docs, Matthew Watto, Stuart Brigham, and Paul Williams. And they came together, and they are doing some really fun and interesting things with the way we teach each other about the key work that we do, but also more interestingly, I think... The way they're doing it is making it really accessible for anyone who might be interested in hearing about things the way a physician might hear about it, digesting it the way we might digest it, and making it fun. Thank you very much. So the Curbsiders are here. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. So Matt, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about what the Curbsiders concept was And then we're going to kind of get into how the three of you came together and said, let's take medical education. Let's take the dry didactic 60 minute seminar and let's make it like fun, (laughs) like something you'd want to listen to when you're (laughs) driving home or working out on your bike or something like that.
2: Mark, I was definitely like you where I listened to a lot of podcasts. I had checked in from time to time looking for internal medicine podcasts that I wanted to listen to and I just wasn't finding one and... (laughs) I just decided I think this is something that I could potentially do and started talking to my friends, Stuart being one of them, Paul being another one of them. And mm. they sounded, they were interested, they were supportive, and we just kind of cobbled it together.
0: When Matt initially approached me with, with the idea, I'll, I'll be honest, I uh, didn't listen to podcasts, didn't really have too much idea what they were. I kind of had a vague idea. I listened to Audio Digest, a few other things like that. And I realized Audio Digest is. It's, it's informative, but, man, you know, it, if you're lacking some ambience, sometimes Audio Digest works wonders. <laughs> Audio
1: Digest, for all the good work that they do, that is the sort of perfect example of you'll learn everything you need to know, but ugh, it's slow, yeah. dry, and difficult.
0: You know, a, a lot of the learning theories that we have today suggest that in order to to promote retention, it's got to be spaced out. But more than just being spaced out, you got to be engaged. You have to have some type of engagement with the audience, whether direct engagement. So that's what I teach when, I, when I'm giving a lecture or engaging other parts of the brain. In this case, trying to instill a little bit of light humor and maybe a, um, some kind of quirkiness with
1: it just to help to in, help to promote <laughs> retention. And yeah, I, you do,
2: know, I you think you it's do the quirkiness well, Stuart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: So, Paul, let me ask you this question. You're sitting at work. You get a text message from your buddies, and they say, hey, we are thinking about doing this podcast. We're thinking about doing it this way. We're all busy. We all have busy lives. We're all engaged in our careers. You get this message kind of out of thin air. As a doc, what happens when you get that ping from your, from your friends and colleagues saying, let's jump into this new project?
3: Yeah, I wish it was that dramatic. Actually, no, I'm <laughs> glad it
1: wasn't. Um, it was,
3: they, I, initially, Matt was nice enough to ask me just to talk about Sprint when he sort of um, the Sprint trial when he developed this idea for the podcast. And so I was actually a, a guest before I was a co-host. And then when he when so sort of the opportunity arose for someone to to kind of join the the curbsiders. I mean, I I had to think about it because I, I fundamentally don't like being the center of attention ever for anything. <laughs> but it was
0: it's not obvious.
3: <laughs> but one of my you know, one of the best parts of medicine, I think, is sort of sitting around with your colleagues and talking about things that you think are interesting and exciting. And it's mm-hmm. also a way to sort of force myself to stay current and educated. So it seemed really like too good an opportunity to pass up.
1: Yeah. So the four of us trained in a similar way, and you guys are all still in the world of academics where you're teaching while you're still also actively learning and taking care of patients at the same time. We all went through that, and the process was pretty much unchanged since the inception of American medicine. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the Socratic method kind of getting called out by the attending when you're on rounds, sitting in front of a book with a highlighter or, you know, sitting in front of mm. your tablet with a you know a digital highlighter, these sorts of things. The audio component as it first rolled out was just more of the same. It was the, you know, the, the illustrious professor kind of droning about important stuff. But those mechanisms of teaching were old.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Did, yeah. Did you guys say as you approached this, what was the part where you said, and Matt, I'll start with you on this, where you said, we need to do this work so that we can learn, teach, get better, but we've got to do it differently.
2: Right. Well, when I was, when I, when I left residency and I was out of that world where I was forced to be learning on a daily basis, I just was like, oh, I'm just, this is, I, I had to find a fun way for myself to learn. And when I started getting more involved with the residency program where I was working, and I started creating lectures, I was like, "Oh, this is pretty fun. I like making these lectures." And then I started thinking of the idea for the podcast, and th- and some and kind of taking some of the elements from other shows that I listened to. I really liked the Tim Ferriss show. He interviews experts there. I was like, "This would totally work with medicine." And some of the books I had read talking about like you could reach out to people that. You think might be inaccessible, but it's not like all these doctors that we get on our show are getting like hundreds of flattering emails every day asking them to come speak. So, you know, we reached out to a couple people, and people said, "Yeah, I'll come on the show and talk with you." And then we're like, "Oh, this is going to work." And we we uh, didn't have to read for twenty four hours or uh, twenty four hours. We didn't have to read like a ton to be the expert because our guest is serving as the expert right. and they have that built-in credibility and that just kind of made the show, um, it felt like it was something that could work and it wouldn't be like overly exhausting for us.
0: You know, I, I think something that really helped us out too is it, it's like there's an untapped voice in, in the physician world. There's a lot of physicians that have a lot to say, but it's as though they're not being asked to say it. And so when you go out and you reach out and try to find that that principal investigator, they seem to be quite uh, interested to talk about whatever research they have, whatever guideline they have posted because they really want to talk about it, but oftentimes they get drowned out by the voices that, unfortunately, to some extent, have uh, alternative views or alternative uh, priorities than these physicians have. And it's important that us physicians have a voice, and not just physicians, but healthcare in general has a voice, and that we bring it to the table, bring it to the forefront. And I think it's important to have that megaphone. and It it just seems like a natural outgrowth for uh, an educational platform.
1: But, Stuart, what you just said gets to the grain of what the curbsiders does that is so smart. It does. For, you're right. You access these really, really intelligent, thoughtful, cutting-edge docs who want to talk about the work that they're doing. But do you feel like the way that you're constructing your interviews, you're giving them a platform to do it where they're having fun? right? They're not just going through their PowerPoint slide. They're laughing right there with you. They're telling goofy stories right there with you. This is unprecedented. I mean, let's be fair, right? Most professors in a lecture are not goofing around and laughing with the students to the extent that you guys are doing it. What are you doing that allows them to feel that comfortable? Because as you say, that's what makes it sticky. When the story is funny or clever or witty or shares a part of their personality or why it's important to them, what are you doing with the way you're constructing these interviews that allows these really intelligent, thoughtful people to open up and be fun and be engaging and be themselves? I, you know, I, I, Go ahead, Stuart. No, go ahead, Bat. Go ahead. No, hey, Paul, right. you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paul, please. <laughs> William,
3: great question. So I think one of the things that's easy to get lost when you're teaching – Is the fact that you really deeply care about your subject matter. And I I think, you know, in a formal academic setting, you're standing in front of your giant PowerPoint screen. You have these sort of blank eyes either staring at your computer monitors. It's kind of easy to have that enthusiasm and passion sort of sapped away from you. And I think the three of us are genuinely excited and interested in medicine. And then we are also three fundamentally goofy human beings at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we call the guests and as soon as they pick up the phone, I'm already fighting with Stuart. Matt is trying to sort of calm <laughs> us down. So I feel like we already have the build in rapport and then you have someone who's also excited to talk about the thing that they're there to talk about yeah. with three interested people who are already having a good time. And I think you're giving them permission to present it in a way that is not quite so so rote and cut and dried as, as perhaps using other formats. But maybe the yeah. other guys feel differently.
1: I think that that's where the best podcasts become the best, is that the listeners feel like they're part... Of a really interesting, fun, clever conversation, and they just want to feel like they're a part of it.
2: And That's Mark, right. we recently we recently uh, decided, or our. <laughs> I I don't I don't know how popular a decision is among all everybody, but we uh, we recently decided that we wanted to start asking listeners to get involved. Which our listeners are students, they're residents, they're nurse practitioners, they're clinical pharmacists, and we just got a whole bunch of applications of all these like highly qualified people that are interested in doing this kind of work because I think they they realize like we do that that we're having fun doing this. And they want to be part of that. Like they're they're they want to learn, and they know that being part of something like this will kind of force them to do that reading, force them to dive deep into whatever that subject is that's giving them anxiety in clinic or every time they see a case on the wards. And when you when you do a deep dive on it on one of these shows, it's really fun and really rewarding, and you get to kind of benefit all these people by putting that out there.
1: I think that that's going to become a progressively more and more powerful tool. I think as a lifelong learner. And I think it's important that it be said. Physicians, it's not just expected that we are lifelong learners, it's a requirement to maintain our licensure. We have to do our continuing medical education, but there's still that intellectual curiosity, right? The field is changing right under our feet. We need to stay up to date to provide best quality care. But that's the way that you keep people engaged is learning in an environment that feels more familiar. And Stuart, I'm gonna circle back because you said the buzzword, right? When we're learning in this environment, when we're just chatting about hyponatremia or how to manage dizziness and vertigo or how to conceptualize uh, you know, the the management and treatment of head trauma and concussion, we mm. can do or it in learn this. Con- right. We can do it in this conversation <laughs> where we're joking and telling funny stories and learning together, or we can do it using the keyword that you mentioned which is PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. I have my own very specific opinions of the role of PowerPoint in medical education, but Stuart, you mentioned it. You guys don't have PowerPoint, and yet these are sticky, interesting, thoughtful conversations. Is PowerPoint, which is ubiquitous, is it a tool or is it holding us back? I think
0: PowerPoint's more a crutch than a tool um we 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 tend to rely more on these these tools instead of relying on the power of relationships and communications and reaching out because in order to really get in front of an audience and ensure that they know what you're talking about it requires a two-way conversation not a one-way conversation and i think that that's one thing that's powerful about our podcast that we serve as a surrogate for the audience for that two-way conversation you know they're wondering the same things that we're wondering and i think that if we were to take a step back and say well which uh, which presentations have been the most engaging powerful and uh Um, ability to promote retention, I think you'll find that it's not just one individual up there talking. It's a a conversation. It's a back and forth. I've watched a lot of debates lately between uh, a lot of individuals at the top of the craft, and I find that those debates help me to understand both the pros and cons of whatever side I'm looking at, whether it's understanding CAC scores for Coronary artery disease and uh, just risk stratification, or CCTAs for those who are symptomatic. It's it's help, helpful to understand. Well, I understand your viewpoint, but what's the uh, what's the alternative viewpoint? And that helps me to come to my own consensus, my own understanding, because I then come to a conclusion. The listener comes to a conclusion on their own based on the evidence provided, instead of just remembering things. Wrote this is not this is no longer attending based medicine. It's evidence based medicine, but it's meta ev- evidence at this point. You know, we look at things like Wikipedia. We look at things like um this this ability to just develop aggregate data aggregate information and nobody is an expert anymore we're all pseudo experts because we kind of understand the information but it's when we get together and collaborate that we can truly come to um, some type of a higher understanding of what this data means
1: so this is the democratization of information what you just described this is equalizing the playing field so that we can all get better at the same time. And as you say, do it in a way that's fun and engaging. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any PowerPoint slides from any pers- pro- you know lectures that I've ever been to. I remember the sticky stories. I remember the you know, mm-hmm. the honest things about, hey, this was when I made a mistake and this is what I would do differently, or this was hilarious, and remember when this happened and this is how we did this thing. That's the stuff that resonates. So, Paul, for you, you're, you're, you're a busy guy. You're a busy doc. You have things that you need to do. When you record a show and, and the show is over, what are the parts that you then take? So the next time you're seeing patients making rounds, doing, a, doing your own talks or, or doing some education, what parts do you pull out that you find to be the most resonant when you kind of get out of the world of the podcast and back into the real clinical sphere? Yeah, that's a, it's
3: a tough question to answer. I mean, I, as I'm, I'm sure you know, too, sort of part of podcasting is you're you're not just listening, but you're also sort of actively processing Or am other things, and are my levels okay, and am I talking too fast, and wait, what's going on with this computer over here, and oh, <laughs> shoot, my cat's climbing up my leg. <laughs> so Absolutely. I think the, the, initial, the initial conversation, uh, you know, there are certainly teaching points that you take away from it. I, I think one of the things that is, is sort of neat about our podcast, not that I'm trying to over-promote it, is the, sort of the show notes after the fact, that like the, the supplemental data, so going back and preparing those and listening again and sort of actually collating the points that you actually think are meaningful and you need to communicate to the audience sort of after the fact, I think that's probably the most helpful way that I found to actually consolidate the data. Because when I'm in it, and these guys know I don't listen to the podcast after they're done. <laughs> I, I <hear> <laughs> but but you know, when you're in the middle of it, I think it's kind of a little bit actually harder to take away the information than after you're sort of processing it sort of a second time through. I don't know if it's if it's different for Matt or steward, but I just I can't multitask the way those guys can.
2: It mm. You know, Paul, you, you brought that up, and this is something that I don't know that I've said it on air often enough, is is that I really think it's important, and this is why uh, we can get into the Facebook Live stuff that we're going to be doing, but we I think it's very important to go through and read our show notes, look at the figures that we're sending out, and, and we actually are, are sending these out in an email to our audience every, uh, every week now, because I think it's that important where... They they can just review those like ten or fifteen bullet points that are going to jog their memory like oh yeah they talked about that point that's I'm not supposed to use that medicine because it has this interaction with this disease and I I, I really think that's important like you learning needs to be multimodality and if you just hear it once you're you're going to remember it for a little while but you're not going to remember it long term you need to go back a week later and then a month later and and that's really going to improve your rete- your retention
1: Matt I would say to that. For those who have maybe listened to the podcast or are thinking about it, this podcast, while it's fun, engaging all these different things, this is not fluff. There is intellectual rigor that is applied to each episode. (coughs) You guys have true experts coming on your show. And as you say, the show notes, that's everything that you need for that subject matter. They're very complete. And so you're right. When someone remembers, oh, I listened to something about that. There was that funny story that jogs my memory. I know exactly where to go to get the answer to that question, what happens if I use this medication and this syndrome, or what side effect do I need to be on the alert for? That's that really important combination. How do you guys vet the material that you're putting out there to make sure that it is best available evidence, you know, best practices, these sorts of things?
2: We do rely on our experts, but we we all spend a couple hours reading beforehand trying to kind of update ourselves so we can at least I mean you can read for a couple hours and probably be it probably be ahead of the audience you're not going to be ahead of your expert but you can you can get up to speed enough that if someone's saying something that really doesn't smell right then I'm gonna have to go back after the fact and and do fact checking and sometimes I'll have to cut stuff out if someone said something that I I just think is you know going to confuse the audience or going to be too hard to reconcile later so I mean that's, that's something that we, we do think about. I mean, we, there's, I saw once there's podcasting, medical podcasting quality standards. Stuart and I were researching this for uh, a talk I I was putting together and, and it was some of the things you're supposed to do is, is like learning objectives, Mm -hmm. uh, disclosures from your guest and, you know, kind of citing your sources. And and we try to do all that the best we can. I mean, we don't have like a full, a full-time staff yet, uh, to, to help us with this, but I am, Like I mentioned earlier, we have some volunteers that are going to be starting, and I I think we're going to be able to have even better quality than what we've had to date uh, if I can get all these people working uh, in, in the machine that we've built so far.
0: Right. And Matt also does a really good job of post-production editing in order to make sure you know. if we have a question about something that's said, we might actually edit it out if we don't think that it's entirely accurate or we may put a disclaimer in or you know, something of that sort in, in order to ensure that the quality product that we're producing is, you know, that it's correct.
1: That's a very important distinction to make. You want to make sure that you, that you guys do do a nice job of it. You were alluding to as well, I think a little bit, and I want to tease this out, the evolution, what's coming with the show. And one of the observations that I've made, and I went back through your entire feed online. Oh, my gosh. To to look at all <laughs> the different topics. You guys are on episode 59 right now. So episode 60 is probably coming fairly soon. Monday, yep. This is not, whether this is conscious or unconscious on your guys' part, and that's what I'm interested in here, this is not, Chapter one, heart failure. Chapter two, diabetes. (laughs) Chapter three, (laughs) hypertension. You have a lot of topics that are moving through the didactic, through the clinical, but they're moving into the, this is what the experience is like for the everyday person, right? Back pain, polypharmacy, eating disorders. These are not things that only doctors need to know about or might Mm -hmm. be interested in. This is going to obviously be a continuing evolution where people who are not physicians, who are not providers, are going to be coming to you to look for information and to learn from you guys. Is this an intentional blurring or is this just something that's kind of been happening? <laughs> well, I,
0: I, I'm so this is Stuart here. I can't really speak for Matt. I know that I've got ADHD, and so we come up with these ideas. It's kind of like, oh, all over the board. Let's do this. Let's no, no, let's do this. No, let's do this. But we have made an intentional effort, I think. Um. Now, Matt can certainly speak for himself, but I think we've made an intentional effort to include topics that uh, interest us and also interest our audience, and maybe fulfill us. Yeah, you know, certainly see that there's a an an episode about how to read the medical literature. We understand that's not going to draw a lot of people into watching the show, but it's certainly something that interests us. And then you compare that to say hyponatremia, which every single person seems like they've downloaded because nobody <laughs> understands hyponatremia, <laughs> and, and and so it's it's these core topics mixed in with things that are more mundane, more rote, or maybe some things that just interest us personally. You know, there's there's an episode that I'm I'm personally working on that uh, I'm I'm trying to uh, uh, essentially uh, shoot down the status quo with a couple of of medical. Um, What I think is po'faz that that that's I'm probably using the wrong word. Anyways, Um, Popaz? po'faz, yeah. Oh my god. Oh, gosh, I'm faux-paws. keeping that in. I loved it. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> that's a typical stewardism. That's fantastic. Anyways, Matt, you got anything to say about that? Since I,
2: I well, shy yeah, away. I. So, Mark, the, the way that we choose topics, it, it's kind of random. And, and fortunately, from the reading I've done, uh, it is uh, on education. I think it's it, actually your brain learns pretty well if you have these random topics thrown at thrown at you. I mean, it's it. it but it's, it's a lot of it's like availability of guests. And mm-hmm. yeah. just kind of if I see something in clinic enough times. Or on the wards, and and I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm like, I need to do a topic on fibromyalgia. I that yeah. that was a that we did that way back, but that was one of the first topics I wanted to do because I just felt like I wasn't able to serve those patients as well as I as I could be. And so we got an expert on that. And we we tr- we do try to mix it up. I mean, we when we talked with uh, Robert Centaur, he said something that just stuck in my head so much. Many things that stuck in my head, but he was mm. he was just like. Students Something about Le- Lemire Res- syndrome, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that is stuck in my head now. <laughs> it was, he, said, he said students and residents love to learn the basics. They love yeah. it when
1: you teach the basics. Right.
2: He's like, some of them are afraid to ask about the basics because they don't want to admit they don't know it. That's and such that a good just,
1: insight. That's such an important is. insight. Is that people? Will, you may think that they remember. That's why everyone's downloading the hyponatremia episode. That is fundamental <laughs> right. physiology and pathophysiology. But everyone is shy to say, you know what? I do not remember how those transporters work. Can we please r- go back over it again? Yeah. Right, well,
3: there's even a conference where they were sort of teaching us how to teach the physical exam that I attended. And it was one of the things that I liked is that you you just treat the audience, you say, listen, I know you guys know this stuff already, but I'm just going to teach it to you like you don't. Like I'm just going to teach it to you as if you didn't know anything at all. And it completely normalizes and takes away the embarrassment for not knowing anything. You don't have that anxiety mm-hmm. and the panic that they're going to reveal some deep-seated deficit. So instead, if you sort of start from baseline and kind of build – built on a solid base, I think that's, I think learners appreciate that better than sort of starting at this sort of highfalutin esoteric um, kind of level.
1: And I think so we can set the correct baseline as well, hyponatremia, a syndrome where the bloodstream has a low sodium level, which is extraordinarily common. It's got a lot of different things that can cause it. It can make people really, really sick. It can also be completely insignificant. And that's one of the most difficult electrolyte challenges and most common electrolyte challenges that we face either in the hospital or outside the hospital. So that sort of sets the baseline. But as you say, when you teach it from the fundamental level, anybody can listen to it and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And you're sort of demystifying these things for everybody, not just for a resident or a medical student or a tenured professor who's forgotten something. Speaking of forgetting something, episode 33... Who came up with the name The Dementia Episode You Won't Forget?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Probably Stuart. That was me. <laughs>
1: That's a high five. That's a funny title.
0: Yeah, it, it, you, should, you should ask uh, Matt. Just let me name them
1: all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, we considered that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was
2: actually a little worried about having stewart on a podcast where i don't have editorial control because i you know mark hopefully he won't say anything <laughs> hopefully he won't say anything too too uh you know too bad tonight but right. uh, there's been some times we've had to edit him
1: so paul when you've been on an episode and Stuart's doing his thing do you ever think what have i gotten myself into <laughs> oh, yeah, constantly. It's happening right now, actually. That, that, doesn't go. that doesn't go away. All right. So the, the next thing that we need to get into is, again, this extension of the work that you're doing and the things that you guys are teaching and learning about at the same time and accessing experts. While the four of us are doing this recording, our country is embroiled in an extraordinary debate around the future of American health care how it's going to be constructed, who's going to pay for it, who's going to be covered, what the impact of those decisions will be. The vast majority of Americans, physicians included, physician executives included, when this comes up, look at each other like the person who is learning about Mm -hmm. hyponatremia for the first time. What (laughs) in God's name are you guys talking about? I don't understand any of this. It is so confusing. And so there's just a lot of head nodding. Uh Uh-huh, I get it. When none of us get it, let's be let's be frank right. about this. What do you, you f- know, foresee the role of the Curbsiders podcast in helping people understand where we are with health policy in the United States?
0: It's it's funny that you mentioned that. That's that's actually something that Matt and I, and well, and and of course Paul too, have uh, talked a bit about. You know, I I think we, we come from come from it from from, from uh, different angles. Um, I'm going to let Matt speak, and I'm going to. Kind of break into here um, after he's done. I think he. I think I know where he's okay. going to go with it.
2: Yes, Mark. I'm. I'm glad you mentioned that. We. We actually recorded in the past week two episodes on what I'm calling health policy for be- beginners or health policy for millennials. I'm not sure what the title. Maybe we'll give the title to Stuart and let him. You know, put a pun in there. But <laughs> we. Health we
1: policy essentially, for
2: all. <laughs> yeah. So we. We essentially. I I think it's important. So I'm one of the people who has been intimidated by trying to learn about health policy. I I think it's a, it's a tall order, but I feel like if, if anybody can make it a fun topic or an accessible topic, I feel like it's something that our show has a chance at doing. And uh, I think we've done that with some success. So people can let Mm -hmm. us know in a two or three weeks when I release the episodes and I hope to do more episodes on this topic. I mean, I can say, uh, I can at least speak, I know Stuart mm-hmm. is fairly uh, more advanced uh, than myself on this. I, I don't want to speak for Paul, but Stuart uh, has a lot more, this is, he's a lot more involved in health policy mm-hmm. uh, as part of his current job. So I'm looking to form opinions. I'm looking to kind of, I, I think I'm a good person to, to be interviewing people about this because I have such rudimentary knowledge that I'm probably going to ask questions that will be valuable mm-hmm. to a lot of people.
0: You know, I, I I think it's important that we look at the evolution of physician education to include the physician as leader, and also to understand somewhat what 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 market pressures are are doing to the healthcare policy and to the healthcare market, and to understand the differences between both the socialized market and economies of scale and a free market, and understanding how our system, which seems to be somewhat of an amalgamation of both, and and how that that in and of itself is is doomed to fail. And we have to look at uh, essentially these two diametrically opposed systems, which one are we going to embrace? I think there are pros and cons of both, one of which embraces stagnation at the the at the at the uh, or not embraces stagnation, but embraces uh, stabilization and less variability um, at the cost of stagnation that's being socialized. And then you have the free market, which is a is a little bit more dare I say uh, Chaotic, but it, through that chaos, you can certainly have some incredible healthcare advances. The concern that I have is that if we as a nation embrace socialized medicine, what's that going to do to the rest of the world who, to some extent, relies on our chaotic healthcare policy to push forward healthcare advances that they then benefit from? And you know, I, I think it's important for us as physicians to understand what these two di- diametrically system di- diametrically opposed systems, um, what they stand for, and what the end result could be, because ultimately we, in the transactional system, at the lower level, lowest level, we're going to be uh, impacted by this mo- more than anyone else. And I think it's Im- it's important, just like you would have. Let's say that that you are a. Uh, you're a mechanic working in an an auto body shop you have to understand how policy at the national level maybe not global poli- not not from a global perspective when i say global i don't mean global like worldwide but overall policy but understand at the granular focus how it's going to affect how am i going to fix this car and is that going to impact my ability to feed my kids at the end of the day Now, know we, we have, they have to understand it from that granular transactional level and i think it's important for physicians to embrace economic theories and policy and and understand that leadership um, both from a a global perspective and at the granular perspective needs to be part of our own medical education system
1: i agree with that completely and i'll take it a step further we don't just need to know it for our benefit it was mentioned earlier that physicians are leaders and physicians are leaders by default whether you want to be or not if you become a physician people are going to look to you as a leader so we have in my view a, a responsibility to understand this, to not understand the sound bites, to not understand or care about the clickbait or the things that are designed to inflame emotion, but to understand the rational approaches to all of the different ideas around how best to manage population Mm -hmm. health in the United States because people are going to ask us and when they ask, they expect us to know it.
0: Right, yeah.
1: So the curbsiders are gonna have to approach this in that way where, and it'll be interesting to see how this evolves, I haven't seen the discussion of health policy done in a humorous <laughs> manner, in a manner where we can crack a few jokes, where we can take the pressure off because it is so highly charged. I mean, just look at the way we've talked about it in the last five minutes. The whole tone of the interview changed because I brought up health policy. We need to change <laughs> yeah. that mathematic a little bit, right? It right. does need to still be able to be something. We can crack a joke. We can compare to something silly. We can give it like a Monty Python treatment if we wanted to, <laughs> and that's all going to be okay.
0: Yeah
3: you know it's it's a little bit easy to even sort of abnegate that responsibility because and say listen i just want to take care of patients i'm going to keep my corner of the world clean and i just i don't have the energy to think about it but it really is i mean that's it's sort of burying your head in the sand and i really do count myself among the daunted so I, I do hope that we can use this as a platform to sort of educate myself too because it really it is it is a shortcoming and i think until you understand the forces that are actually affecting you you really can't do anything to change them and that that should be part of our, our roles positions and i think it's it's easy. I won't use the word neglected, but it's easy to maybe ignore it just and focus on purely clinical stuff because that's more interesting and it's sometimes and in some regards even less daunting. Um, just because I think you can sort of make you know small clinical changes that feel satisfying, but sort of wrapping your hands around the system is a little bit more of a challenge.
1: So wrapping this all the way back around to to where we started, we've we've laid the we've laid the groundwork. Right, Curbsiders has claimed this corner of a really successful educational tool for physicians, for healthcare providers, extending out to the population at large. Matt, I'll take it to you. What's going to happen? What do you think the role of the Curbsiders podcast and your approach to this educational endeavor is going to have? Where are we going to be in three years? When you guys are 250 episodes in, where are we?
2: I don't. I I'm not sure what kind of impact that that we will have. I can tell you what my goals are for myself and for for the show. I I, I we talk a lot about books on the show. We talk about mentorship. We talk, we talk about kind of tips for learners, tips for teachers. And, and I'm just hoping that as as we grow in in our roles and as we're learning through the show, that the audience is learning with us. And I hope people from our audience are inspired to make their own podcasts and to kind of, kind of do things, do things that maybe they wouldn't have had the confidence to do before. Um, because I think a lot of these things that I'm reading, uh, and a lot of these podcasts I listen to, they kind of give me like the guts to, to go out and try some of these new things. So I'm hoping that we will be uh, at the forefront of medical education, at least among internists, and we we plan on doing things. I mentioned Facebook Live earlier. We're we're going to try to be expanding and doing some video stuff where we can be on Facebook Live. We can have a live interaction with our audience and answer their questions in real time, and be posting those shows as well. I I just think there's there's just so many cool new things out here that we can try as educators and. You know, not just not just for entertainment, but I mean, this is we're trying to give people real, usable stuff that they can take back to their practice and uh, hopefully sp- spread it around and and do cool things.
1: I've been listening to the it. show since it started, and you know, as as an active listener and as someone who is also interested in podcasting, I feel like you guys are starting to have these big impacts. But Stuart, am I overstating it, or do you feel like? You are shifting things a little bit. You are giving people a different perspective based on the feedback that you're getting, your energy around the show. Do you feel like there's starting to be a little bit of a wobble in the status quo?
0: Hmm. That's a that's a that's actually a, a difficult question. Do I feel like there's a wobble in the status quo? unfortunately i take these questions very literally so i've got to think about this <laughs> and translate it so uh, you, you know i i i've already seen somewhat of a of a change at the local level and at the regional level when i went to a couple of conferences recently i've had people kind of Come up to me, and, uh, not not knowing that I was on the on the podcast, which I thought was kind of funny because they, I guess they hear my first name, not my last name. Anyhow, they they start mentioning some of the things that that were mentioned on the wow. on the podcast, and it That's changed amazing. the way that they were approaching some things at the local level. So considering CAC scores, for example, or CAC scoring for um, asymptomatic patients to help to differentiate um, using different cardiac risk calculators, incorporating some of the ACE recommendations that, that truly do make sense if, if it's uh, uh, applicable to, you know, said patient. Um, looking at uh, alternative means to, you know, it, it's just these things are being applied and it was really weird that one of uh, Matt, a friend of uh, both Matt and I, called us, and he mentioned that he was rounding with uh, his residents. This is a different institution that we actually were not affiliated with, and he said it was very odd because one of the residents started mentioning something on rounds, and he asked the resident, "Well, where'd you, where did you read that?" And he. And the residents spoke up and said, well, you know, there's this podcast I've been listening to, the per- the the, curbside- the curbsiders. And it was it was just surreal. It was very strange. So yes, I do see an impact.
1: How ubiquitous the impact's going to be, you know, I think time will tell. Yeah, it may be a low amplitude wobble, but I think you've just described a wobble. I mean, this is, people are thinking about and hearing about a different way of learning and approaching things and applying it the same way that you would if you'd heard it from the way it was taught in 1952. So, right. that's that's important.
2: We are, like, we are not the ones to to invent all this. I mean, there's people Scott Weingart, M. Crit, Z. mean, these guys have been doing really great, interesting medical education, and you know, Z. even making health policy interesting. So, you know, I right. I feel like we should mention them. Like, we, I don't necessarily think we're like the only place to go for this, but I I uh, I guess I oh, just I'll feel.
1: I think we're the yeah, only okay. to this, right? I think going to be pretty okay about yeah. that. You know, <laughs> in I've, case had, in point, I've had Paul Scott, is listening to every episode. <laughs> I've had Scott on the podcast. I've had Z Dog on the podcast, and I would put you guys right there with them. Scott is a brilliant educator, and you know when he and I had a conversation some time ago, it was just amazing. He works really closely with some of my good friends in San Diego, doing extraordinary work in ED resuscitation. Z Dog is Z Dog. The guy is fantastic, and I yeah. think that that's a template that a lot of us can think about when we're trying to discuss how we educate. But curbsiders is right there with them. You've just started, and it's going to take time to maybe get that same bandwidth, but it may not be that much time. Paul, when you think about people coming up to you saying, hey, you're one of the curbsiders, I want to participate, or you guys are doing great work, here's how it affected me, or if that sounds like that's already happening, you didn't expect that when you were a resident or a brand new attending. What does it feel like to, to think we're starting to make an impact?
3: Oh I mean, it's it's obviously very exciting and uh, you know mildly terrifying. you know i I think we're all <laughs> early career physicians, and so to have <clears throat> or someone regard us as a source for any kind of information or as an expert i <laughs> I don't think I have the ego yet to support that kind of expectation, which which I'm saying in all seriousness. so I, I think it's it's great that people are listening. I think the the point that I want to just attack on to matt's earlier, I think there's a hidden curriculum too that we have here, and that's um just to go back to an earlier point that I made that you know I think Thinking about this kind of stuff that we talk about is fun and talking about this kind of stuff is fun and talking to other doctors who are excited about, you know, hyponatremia and about, you know, CAC scoring and about all the things that we've discussed and having that level of enthusiasm. I think part of the appeal of the podcast, if at all, is just three people who genuinely seem to enjoy their jobs and and the things that they they do. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so effective. So I think it resonates on that level, which uh, I'm hoping people recognize as well.
1: Couldn't have said it better myself. I think you've absolutely nailed where that appeal comes from. So, Matt, for people who are listening to this episode of Explore the Space who haven't found the Curbsiders yet, how do they find you?
2: We're on iTunes. We're on most podcasting platforms. You can go to the curbsiders.com. All our episodes are on there. And uh, they can sign up for our mailing list if they want our show notes, which I think you know we spend a lot of time on those, and I, and I think they're an essential companion to the show.
1: And they're at a conference near you, so when you see them, go up to them and make them feel uncomfortable.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> especially Paul. Especially That's Paul. Baseline. That's kind of my thing.
1: There's going to be all these Paul Williams at conferences around the United States, being like, "Please leave me alone. I'm not in
3: the curbsiders.
2: <laughs> I'm not that Paul Williams." <laughs> Fingers crossed.
1: Fingers crossed, <laughs> gentlemen. This was wonderful. Thank you for coming on and explore the space. Thank you so much for starting the curbsiders. You're on a really interesting trajectory and you're doing fun, fun, interesting and exciting work. So please keep it going. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much.
2: Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space.
0: Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to Mark at explorethespaceshow.com.